Welcome to In Early, the crypto podcast, where I speak to those at the forefront of the digital asset space, telling real life stories, discussing the growth and growing pains of the industry, and exploring how blockchain technology has made an impact on people's lives. My name is Matt Green, and I'm the blockchain litigation lead at Shoesmiths. This week's episode features Peter Shackleton, a director of sales at BitGo, a regulator provider of custody, financial services, and core infrastructure for investors and builders alike. We talk about what holders of crypto assets should consider, why BitGo have been making positive headlines for safekeeping funds previously held by FTX, as well as the role of custodians, how they seek to protect assets, and put those funds to work. Sheck, welcome. Hey, Matt, great to be here. Thanks for coming along. Really appreciate it. That's cool. Thank you. So in the audio introduction, I introduced BitGo using language I shamelessly took from your website. Um, For those not familiar with certain concepts, what does BitGo do? Um, And it does three things, right? So maybe describe what those are. Um, Sure. So I think the best way to describe BitGo, I mean, we're one of the... um, the largest and oldest, if not the the largest and oldest independent crypto custodian, where we're coming up to ten years in the market this year. Uh, so obviously, as the name suggests, we you know we're custodian of digital assets. We we you know we were not a custodian of real world assets before that. We've always done digital assets, so we're very much a crypto native business. Um, and we've evolved, I guess, in lockstep with the market and the market structure. So you know initially we started off as a technology solution, and I'll expand on that. I'm sure yeah, later yeah, on yeah. In the podcast, but then you know as uh, we, we always had a sort of institutional B2B sort of focus. And as, um, you know, more institutional players came in, the market structure developed somewhat. We we also became um, a qualified custodian, which means we're regulated. And again, I'm sure we'll touch upon that in far greater mm-hmm. detail. Uh, and, and so we provide essentially at, at its core, like um, a foundation uh, from uh, to, to, to safely hold digital assets for a variety of customers and then provide a platform from which they can safely deploy these assets into various strategies into the digital asset ecosystem. So, you know, staking, um, uh, DeFi, NFTs, trading, lending, borrowing, etc. And, and, you know, again, that's whole product mix is constantly evolving in line with the market. So I think that's generally what we... That's the nutshell. That's the nutshell. That's <laughs> Basically, the, it's, so it's, it's, it's storing for people, custodial yeah. yep. in, in sort of very basic terms. So storing digital assets and not just that, but it's putting it to work so you get what right. some sort of yield from... Well, I mean, only if the client... I mean, the first and foremost, the role of a custodian, and we really believe in segregation of duties in the market, is yep. to safeguard clients' assets. So we first and foremost provide them a, a safe custodial environment to, to hold their assets. And if they only decide to just hold their assets with us, that's absolutely fine. But then we provide them the option and the opportunity mm-hmm. to deploy those assets so that they're not dormant um, you know, and passive, but that's entirely driven by their, their investment strategies ultimately. So we, we're not um, you know, actively encouraging uh, clients to deploy, but if they want to deploy- It's an option. It's, it, it's, it's an option, but it's an option it's they can do it from us rather than having to move those assets on an exchange or on a DeFi platform that is, you know, sort of not as secure as ours, essentially. So why would anybody not want to put it to work? Is it because it's a time thing? You know, someone might want to maybe drop off their their digital assets with you for, I don't know, a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Would that prevent people from wanting to 
put their assets to work? No, absolutely not. I mean, they could, um, you know, they could obviously, depending on the protocol they stake with, they could they could stake it. I mean, some have longer periods than uh, 20 days. Or yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, they could lend it out, you know, intraday, which we do or overnight. Uh, they could trade it in and out, you know, within those days. So no, there's absolutely no restrictions. But I think to your, to your question, why would people not want to do anything with it? It just, um, you know, if you're a a sovereign wealth fund or if you're a, a long-term hodler of mm -hmm. bitcoin you know and fundamentally obviously we we evolved with the market but uh you know at our core we're uh you know we're very strong in in in, in the bitcoin market because obviously when, yeah, when yeah. we started that was the core digital asset um you know people just want to hold their assets in the safest possible place and not touch them and 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 make sure they're preserved for for themselves and future generations so we have those type of clients and we have clients obviously who are much more active in you know, Polkadot, Solana, whatever, and who who are deploying those assets. Um, in, so it's not just ways. Bitcoin. You you can hold a variety of things. Yeah, I, I, exactly. Let me give you an overview. I mean, I think uh, you know, as I said, Bitcoin is still very important to us, and we we still very much support the development of the Bitcoin network and, and yeah. you know the broad adoption of Bitcoin because our founder and and, and CEO uh, Mike Belshi, who's uh, you know has a, a sort of long illustrious career in technology, you know across Web mm -hmm. One, Web Two, Web Three. He got into uh, Bitcoin very early on, and him and his friends essentially had no safe place to to store their digital assets. So he developed, he pioneered uh, the multi-sig um, signature concept for uh, digital assets. What does that mean for people who don't necessarily know? So it's know a way to it's a, it's a way to safeguard your digital assets, which doesn't rely on only one key. It's a distributed way to sign transactions, and so there's multiple signers. And again, I can touch upon how mm -hmm. we, we deal with uh, multi-sig, but essentially, it's the the, the key is still the predominant way for custodial. Um, safe custodial solutions to sign uh, uh, transactions in digital assets, essentially. Uh, so he pioneered that, and uh, obviously it started off with Bitcoin for himself and his friends and, and the institutions that became our clients. So to this day, 20% of all Bitcoin transactions still go in and out of a BitGo wallet, for instance. Wow. Uh, we're the sole custodian for the Wrap BTC protocol. Um, you know, we obviously, um, you know, promote and um, and support sort of developments. For instance, um, the Lightning Network, micropayments in emerging markets, etc. You know, obviously, we support the Lightning Network. We run our own nodes. It's something that we offer uh, potentially to our clients, depending on the jurisdiction, mm -hmm. etc. Uh, obviously, we were involved with the government of El Salvador, providing wallet infrastructure for them with their adoption of Bitcoin. You know, mm -hmm. we're having conversations with you know other sovereigns globally, um, and you know, just with the sort of uh, Bitcoin wallet architectures, things that we do. So very much, you know, a, a strong Bitcoin foundation, but absolutely not uh, Bitcoin exclusive by, yeah. by any means. We support all the major, so the top 20 tokens, I think 26 or 27 blockchains now, 700 tokens. Um, you know, we're doing a lot of things in NFTs and Web3. So we're really pushing the boundaries of what can be done. And we're, we're very crypto agnostic. Well, uh, you sort of answered my next question to some extent a little bit ago when I, I was going to ask what challenges you want to overcome or, or what, what challenges does Bitcoin overcome? But it seems as though the answer was that the founder wanted somewhere to securely store assets. And that seems to be it. And it sort of evolved from that. Yeah, I mean, so he, he, I think he initially, and obviously I, I don't want to speak for him, but because uh, <laughs> I wasn't around. Chances of him coming on this? But, yeah, no, well, you never know. I'm sure he listens avidly to all my podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, Absolutely. Um, 
no, he wanted to provide, he's a technologist, as I said, yeah. that he wanted, he found a, a solution, he founded a solution for safely storing digital assets. Um, and, and it was initially a technology solution, mm -hmm. but it evolved into much, much more than that. You know, there was clearly um, a need for it driven by the, the market structure in crypto or the lack of market mm -hmm. structure in mm -hmm. crypto. And I think that's why you've seen these sort of elements of centralization but, you know, with exchanges, for instance, I know we'll touch upon this becoming mm -hmm. custodians yeah. and, and just becoming uh, jackable trades, which you would you would never dream of having that type of market structure in in, in TradFi. Um, and and so he's tried to evolve in parallel with that and offer an alternative, more you know, robust long term. Well, solution. there's a reason why you know BitGo is advising and and dealing with um, sovereign nations. I guess it's because of the length that it's been around, sure, and uh, the fact that it stood. Um, the test of time in that respect, and it's evolved. So that's 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 quite impressive, um, given that we've seen lots of, of failures in the market. Mm. Um, I guess one of the examples of adapting to the market is this idea of wallet as a service. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me what that is and why would people use it? Sure. So I think it goes in line with you know not just being a custodian, but being sort of a soup to nuts, you know, full breadth offering. And and you can absolutely expand on that and sort of add payments and add mm -hmm. various type of, um, you know, additional ancillary services that you may be able to offer. But increasingly, we want to become more of a one-stop shop naturally for, mm -hmm. for any type of crypto business to be able to come to us um, and, um, and, 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 and deploy whatever strategy they want to. So mm -hmm. if you look at our client, and type of clients, there is no real archetypal type of clients. I mean, obviously, naturally, we're still very involved with the crypto native businesses because yeah. of when we started, how long we've been in the market. So I think today, 35% of crypto exchanges globally are clients of ours, for instance. Mm -hmm. So we have, you know, huge sort of long tail of crypto exchanges and uh, payment providers and remittances and crypto miners and so mm -hmm. on. But we also obviously do a lot on the traditional infrastructure side and sovereigns, as we mentioned already. So there's really no uh, typical client and they all have different needs. So we just want to enable uh, them to, to, to be able to deploy and use our wallet architecture safely and mm -hmm. at scale. Um, you know, we, we're obviously exploring a lot more uh, tokenization, real world tokenization at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, we're very active in, um, I guess, what I call the Web3 space, but in, in essence, more the sort of Web2 to Web3 transition. Yeah, the transition. So yeah. we're yeah. working with a lot of brands um, about sort of scaling a Web3 offering for them. And what's important for them is essentially dealing with a mass retail market that really doesn't understand crypto and doesn't want to and doesn't have the capacity or the scope to be using wallets and dealing with seed phrases and, yeah. and, and private keys. So, you know, we abstract away the blockchain for them and offer them a solution to do that where they have a very web to interface, but actually they don't need to deal with all the technical stuff. You deal with the technical, so we can do all that. So this is this is what I what I personally think is sort of wallet as a service. It's just using this wallet infrastructure and architecture that we have across multiple different strategies that our clients can just plug into. And and the important thing, I mean, on the more technical side, we, you know, to your point, we're 10 years in the market, so people trust us, people mm -hmm. know us. And crypto a crypto year is like a dog year, so that's a long time in the market, right? And yeah. um, and we have a open source battle-tested code, which um, has been, you know, is regularly audited. And as I said, there's bounties out there, it's audited for, so people, really trust our stack, our tech stack. And we have a very simple, single API that people can integrate with that gives them access to all of our different wallet services. So, that's so it's simple to interact. Very, very appealing. Yeah, and yeah. it's very simple to integrate 
a, a service that we don't currently provide, say, you know, payments in, yeah, certain, yeah. in certain areas, et cetera. Just moving on a little bit then, uh, one feature of the website, and again, uh, I admit that um, I have just been scrolling it to try and find um, some, some, some topics to really nail down on. One of the topics on the website is, is safeguarding digital assets. And the website says, and I quote, get insured, regulated, qualified custody. What does that mean? Yeah, well, that's a very good question because um, that's really our USP and our bread and butter, right? So a custodian, I think is is a very loosely banded term in in, in the crypto world. Very. But actually, a lot of solutions out there are just technology solutions that offer you some form of secure signing mechanism for a hot wallet, which mm -hmm. are sort of sort of internet uh, connected, um, you know, wallets. And sure, like they they offer sort of the flexibility and mm -hmm. uh, of, of of being able to transact at scale, but they do not offer you what a real custodian is, which is safely safekeeping your assets in a regulated, insured, Separate. fiduciary manner, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And essentially bankruptcy remote, you know, and we've seen the importance of that with all the failings last year culminating in FTX. So with that in mind, and, you know, in line with us evolving with the market, we became a qualified custodian in the US in 2018. And by qualified custodian is the term the US uses to- That was my question, yeah. <laughs> what a does that mean? custodian. Right. So, so it's a qualified trust. Yeah. So it's a trust status, uh, which obviously you know a lot more than, than I do about. But you know, my, my understanding is obviously in a trust, there's absolutely no commingling of funds between you know clients, the exchange, and our, our own funds. Uh, and there's obviously that element of bankruptcy remoteness. So in, in the event that BitGo or the exchange were to go down, would the, those client funds sitting in the trust, um, you know, would not be commingled with the other funds of the exchange. So in right. a bankruptcy proceeding, there would be absolutely no issue whatsoever with retrieving those funds. They would be almost paid back. So it's completely separate. Completely separate. Right. And, 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 and essentially, so we have trust entities um, mm -hmm. now in, in four uh, geographic locations. So we're regulated in uh, South Dakota, uh, in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, in New York, mm -hmm. uh, and we're equally regulated in Germany, in Europe, uh, actually regulated by BaFin, and regulated in Switzerland by, by FINMA. And then we've been able to sort of port that um, license to various European jurisdictions, and we're in the process of getting further sort of trust statuses around the world, you know, in Asia, Middle yeah, East. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and, and we can talk about technically what enables us to achieve that trust status, but essentially what it also means is because we have that trust status, we can get those uh, wallets in which the, the, the funds reside, the, what which we call cold wallets, yep. um, insured. So we have an insurance policy underwritten by Lloyds of London Syndicate, um, which is worth, uh, which covers two hundred fifty million dollars worth of. Um, and is it over the assets or over the storage? It's over the trust itself. Over the trust, okay. And, and it's on a per wallet basis. Okay. So it's not two hundred fifty million per wallet, but the way you know there is never more than two hundred fifty million dollars held in any given wallet. Right. Um, you know, and and the reason why we have this trust status is we, under the multi-sig framework, we control all the keys uh, of. This, the signing process for the client. So we generate those right. keys, they're generated offline, they never touch the internet, they use our, our, obviously our technology and our software stack, um, and they're held in that trust entity specifically. So all these elements mean that we can benefit from that insurance policy. So all of that gives our end clients huge um, you know, peace of mind to know that their assets genuinely are safe. And it's very modular, we have different wallet types. So that's the regulated, insured, secure, 
uh, wallet. That's the super premium uh, the super version. Premium, <laughs> but obviously it comes with yeah. limitations in terms of um, how do you access your funds? How do you withdraw your funds? And, and these are deliberate limitations because it's not meant to be a transactional wallet. This mm -hmm. is, you know, your hot wallet is like a debit card and your- It's more accessible. Wallet, the assets are, are it's, plugged it's like into the internet. You know, yeah. like a bank vault essentially. Yeah. Um, and, and so we offer a combination of the two generally. Mm -hmm. And so clients like an exchange, for instance, will um, either because by their own sort of policies internally or because mm -hmm. the, on some instances the regulator dictates it, will have a, a, a predetermined split of assets between hot and cold. So they will have 90% of the assets in cold and they'll have 10% of their assets in the hot wallets, which enable, you know, which- They can play around with. The customer yeah, deposits yeah. come in and out of, and it gives them yep. enough working capital to kind of manage their exchange. And they can programmatically adjust the balances between the two wallets. So it's all kind of done very seamlessly in the back. And then they can build mm. their exchange on top of our tech stack. What I like about this is there is, or well, there has been a conversation um, that, and maybe I've not spoken to the right people, mm -hmm. but people were trying to get insurance products or specific insurance products over crypto assets. Mm -hmm. And to my mind, the insurance market was playing around with it, still figuring it out. There are some policies. But maybe that's not the right answer. Maybe it's not that you need to have a policy over those assets. It's what you're talking about is having a policy over a trust or having it over uh, another type of asset that controls it, maybe even the, uh, over a private key. I, I think so too, because ultimately it's about um, who controls the asset and how mm -hmm. it's controlled. And, um, you know, is that asset on chain or off chain? Uh, you know, how would the keys generated on or off chain, et cetera? So, mm -hmm. you know, having it in a sort of legal structure that is recognized by most insurance policies, mm -hmm. having the keys generated offline, uh, you know, with, you know, I, I can imagine someone saying, oh, well, I have these assets, but I regularly put them on Uniswap and I just hold yeah. them in my ledger. Can you insure them? Probably the answer is a resounding no. <laughs> yeah. I think probably is going to be a no. Yeah. So, but, but, you know, I think obviously the insurance market, uh, either the TradFi insurance market and, um, you know, the sort of organic uh, insurance market within crypto, like this Nexus Mutual mm -hmm. and, and some other sort of um, uh, protocols out there are, are probably getting more and more comfortable insuring some forms of um, digital assets, but that's-, that's It's comfortability, it's yeah. education, it's an understanding of how you hold them, what it means, yeah. what does control mean? Who audits a smart contract, you know? All of these sort of technical things that I'm sure a lot of insurance guys are now getting their head around, which is great. To some extent, this brings us to our next point, which is BitGo is regulated. You sort of yep. spoke a little Absolutely. bit about that. Can you tell me more about that? Because you may be regulated in one jurisdiction, but what about others? So where are you regulated? Um, and how has that seal of approval from the regulatory authorities translated into clients? Um, oh, I mean, f for some clients, it's it's uh, sine qua non, you know, it's mm -hmm. like primordial that you get this, this this regulatory status because it affords you the ability to have that insurance wrapper and to know that mm -hmm. your funds are, you know, um, safe and sound in, in, in a sort of bankruptcy remote entity, you know, that we're applying real fiduciary sort of uh, oversight on them. So, um, you know, some clients would not be able to exclusively use some form of hot wallet only tech, tech solution just because it wouldn't, um, you know, their regulator wouldn't allow it or their mm -hmm. internal, um, you know, checks and balances wouldn't, you know, and I'm thinking of some of the sort of regulated financial institutions around the world um, and some of the big crypto exchanges, etc. So, um, no, from from the from the client perspective, it's uh, it's it's a it's a big it's a necessary uh, addition to mm -hmm. the to the wallet um, infrastructure. Um, we can 
onboard clients to any of our trusts. It's really driven by them, which okay. entity they would rather face. So obviously in Europe, um, especially as Europe moves towards a, a sort of unified. Well, there's regulation coming in, coming yeah, in yeah, next yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. You know, most most uh, of our counterparties will prefer to face our German entity, right? Which is regulated by BaFin. And it's fair to say probably that Germany has the most robust um, regulatory framework in Europe, you know, generally and probably for- We're figuring it out here, aren't we? Well. We're still figuring it yeah, out. Yeah, although I'm, I'm, I, I'd be interesting to hear your views on this, but I think the UK is, is you know, turning, well, has done a 180. And at, if anything, the UK, once it sniffs an opportunity, has, um, you know- Dog with a bone, I think. Dog with a bone, I think yeah. so, yeah. So, but where are you regulated? So is it like you take it sort of by region? So you might have Germany, therefore that covers all of Europe and you may have the registration in the US and that covers that area. Is that how it works with Bitcoin? Um, no. So, I mean, that's that's how it could work theoretically, but we're regulated in uh, in South Dakota. So regulated by the South Dakota Division of Banking, mm -hmm. regulated by New York, by the uh, New York uh Division of Financial Services, NYDFS. Uh, and then I said, regulated in Germany by Baffin, regulated in Switzerland by FINMA. So, um, but nothing is stopping a French client of ours from facing our South Dakota entity. Well, that's what I was going to ask, because if I wanted to put money in today and I said, are you regulated? Because I'll only deal with you if you're regulated. Mm -hmm. I'm in the UK. So what would my journey with you guys look like? Right. Uh, I mean, you would essentially, you know, once we've agreed to to onboard, you'd, you'd onboard to our various entities. So you'd onboard to our hot wallet entity, which mm -hmm. is standard across the world, and everyone can, you know, BitGo sort of inc. Uh, and that's more the sort of tech solution mm -hmm. entity. Uh, and then you would onboard to one of our trust entities, depending on, again, your jurisdictional preferences, really. So from our end, it's we, we're very agnostic as to, um, uh, to where you integrate with. I mean, some uh, trust entities enable you to uh, access our, and we haven't talked about this yet, our, our BitGo Prime entity, which is, um, again, our sort of um, ring-fenced, um, uh, you know, as the name suggests, sort of trading and, and liquidity entity that sits at, atop the... So that's a separate entity that deals with all of that? But it only deals with BitGo Trust. And so the advantage of that is that, um, again, in the ethos of not really keeping your assets in a custodial environment at mm -hmm. all time, um, you're able as a, as a BitGo customer from the cold wallet environment, so mm -hmm. the trust entity, to trade through BitGo Prime uh, as a riskless principle. Essentially, mm -hmm. we just aggregate liquidity from 12 liquidity providers and exchanges yeah. and just offer you the best price. And you're able to, to trade your assets, um, obviously, selectively on, 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 on what we offer, but a, a, quite a, a broad variety of assets mm -hmm. without your funds leaving the cold custodial environment. Right. So, And that's... Um, uh, that's also um, obviously a product that's that's highly sought after by a lot of our clients who want to keep the majority of their assets in cold storage. Well, I was going to ask because I, I haven't gone through the terms and I guess the answer is it depends, but and I'm not comparing you to some of the exchanges, but you look at some of the exchanges and mm. it says that legal title of those assets are with the customer. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's with that entity or that company. Yeah. How does BitGo play it? Um, or is the answer it depends on what sort of service? people are after we don't we don't have legal title over the customer's assets so that's the whole point they're in a trust they're segregated the trust the trust means it's yeah. absolutely they're ring fence so you know we know exactly um you know what funds which funds belong to mm -hmm. to which account or which mm -hmm. end customer mm -hmm. you know which wallet is allocated to x exchange there will never be anything other than x exchanges Got you. you know uh, uh, funds in there 
because you see sometimes, as I say, that these these providers of, of supposed custodial services, they say in their terms that that custodial entity holds legal title. Mm -hmm. And I, as a lawyer, I look at... Yeah, I mean, really I think it was Coinbase last year, right? At some point had to do a, a, a regulatory <laughs> filing in the, US, in the US saying that in the event of a bankruptcy, then maybe the assets in you know, Coinbase custody would actually form part of the bankruptcy sort of well, I remember there was Celsius and three arrows and there's, you know, all, no, no, all that sort of stuff is they had absolutely no, crazy. Yeah. Um, what should holders of crypto assets also consider when considering storage? Because, you know, me as an individual, I have uh, a little ledger and I just sort of keep it in my, my drawer. Yeah. But say, for instance, there's a, a high net worth, what would they consider? You know, security is one thing, but what else is there to consider for people? Um, I think, I mean, I think they all go hand in hand. It's sort of um, what type of wallet architecture do you offer? Mm -hmm. Are you regulated? Yes or no? Do you provide insurance? What sort of um, checks and balances do you have on your, um, you know, on your policies and on your mm -hmm. process? So what sort of audits do you undergo? So for instance, we have SOC 1 type 2, Ooh. SOC 2 type 2 audits, which are obviously very onerous, but we do those willingly, um, you know, because we have uh, you know, we're sort of regulated by the Department of Financial Services, mm -hmm. and depending on the, you know, the jurisdiction that we operate in, we actually have physical inspections and audits similar, I was told in the US at least, to what, you know, a, a US bank branch would expect to get from the local right. regulators. So it's that sort of, because we have, um, the, the, the other thing to mention is these trust entities, like for instance, in South Dakota, we actually have a physical bank vault with you know armed guards somewhere under a mountain somewhere where obviously i know <laughs> yeah. nothing about yeah yeah yeah, and, yeah you know very strict processes yeah. who can enter it at any given time who can co-sign a transaction that's going to be an expensive option right because well, you've got to pay absolutely. for all that we need so yeah, yeah, yeah. you know we haven't touched upon how big we are but we are around 350 people across you know all the mm -hmm. different uh, functions and operations so you know, we're very heavy on the engineering and product side, naturally, because yeah. we're trying to iterate and yeah. really yeah. support that. And it's a very sort of te technology, technical heavy sort of uh, background. Then we have sort of the commercial front, but yeah, our trust entities are, are, are require a lot of staff and understandably so, because you have to have very rigorous processes. No, I, I, I understand that. I remember talking to someone who, who works for uh, what I would probably say is more of a traditional asset um, custodial. And they were talking about having you know, armed guards under some Swiss mountain. And is, right. is that sort of... Yeah, I mean, that's exactly how, um, you know, the sort of the sort of processes that we have. Mm -hmm. um, although I'm not sure there's anything in the, in the Swiss mountains so far, but, you know, you know... Some mountain somewhere. Some mountain somewhere, yeah. Maybe this is a, a question that you can answer quite easily, yeah. but why would I, potentially as a consumer, mm -hmm. just as an individual, why would I use your services as opposed to anyone else's? Or, or is Bitcoin not really designed for consumers like me? So we're, we're a B2B uh, business, you know, at initially at the mm -hmm. inception, this is what we do. But obviously, indirectly, we're very consumer facing business because, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of our clients are, are, you know, B2C and use our services to secure and provide the wallet infrastructure for mm -hmm. them. So, you know, a lot of to the extent you have a, a you know, an, an account with most, you know, some of the, some exchanges in Europe, uh, you'll probably be an indirect customer of BitGo, but we are more B2B, but we do obviously in some jurisdictions, again, driven by more regulatory demand. So for mm -hmm. instance, in Germany, we offer B2B2C, where we work with the exchanges and actually get involved in the onboarding and KYC AML of, oh, okay. of, of, of the end consumer. So we do have the opportunity uh, and the framework and the capacity to, to scale 
um, if, if we need to, but then obviously that has to be done on a bespoke uh, basis. But, um, you know, before that, I think the threshold was a million dollars to kind of, it kind of makes sense to become a customer of ours. Mm -hmm. And now we're very much actively reducing that threshold. And I think you only need to have $25,000 worth of crypto assets to right. open an account with us. And, you know, why should you open an account with us? Well, any, everything that happened last year uh, should give you- <laughs> We're coming on to that. Give you the motivation to, <laughs> yeah. uh, to, to, to try and store. I mean, yeah. self-custody is one of the core tenets of, yeah. Uh, of crypto, uh, if you have a small amount uh, of, of assets and or and or you know what you're doing, I think it's it's a great idea and maybe it, it should form part of uh, everyone's strategy. I obviously self custody some of my assets because it's much easier to deploy and well, it's just uh, a USB stick. You know, I have exactly. a little ledger and it's great. And then you have a little ledger and it's fantastic. I, I really rate it. Yeah, super easy. But you know, here, you know, when those assets grow, if you have a significant a larger amount, um, you know, you really want to safe keep them for the long term, mm -hmm. then it makes sense to, to use us. And we have, you know, key recovery services. If ever you lose your private key, there's an option, you know, through, you know, using our method to actually retrieve your funds. If you lose your ledger, mm -hmm. uh, that's it. Well, not your ledger, I'd say, but, the, mm -hmm. the, you know, the seed phrases, then uh, then then it, then it becomes a lot trickier. So what are the recovery um, opportunities that you provide for people? Oh, that's that's on the technical side. So to be honest, that's if you um, if, if if obviously you've lost one because multisig is uh, mm -hmm. three keys mm -hmm. and you need two keys to sign. Okay. Uh, and depending on the type of wallet that you use, either the holder has, as in the client, has two keys, or Bitco has all three keys. Mm -hmm. So in the, obviously only in the instance where <clears throat> the client um, loses one of his keys, then we're able to, you know, generally we hold one of the keys so we can help him oh, I retrieve see. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then if he also loses two keys, like depending on what he chose, if he's using like a third party uh, provider like CoinCover or those sort of guys, then mm -hmm. we can help them recover the keys. But we also provide services where if you sent funds to the wrong blockchain, you know, all these sort of things that you wouldn't be able to do as a, a retail user. And that does happen. I mean, unfortunately, you know, you fat finger on. Uh, on oh, yes. Yes, I'm sure we've all been there. But <laughs> if you do it at, with large amounts and we're able to more often than not recover those funds for you. Okay. I think that's worth a conversation for another day because that's an offering from what appears to be someone like BitGo that's institutional, that has an ability to recover funds that isn't necessarily uh, an expensive and, and, and I would say drawn out process. It's not quite drawn out. But if there's an opportunity where someone has, as you've called it, fat fingered um, uh, money to somewhere and there is an opportunity to, to recover them, mm -hmm. then I think that's definitely worth exploring. Um, and it may well be that that policy gets fleshed out a little bit further down the line and that's uh, that's another sort of marketing uh, ploy. Um, now, I appreciate there's been a lot of talk about FTX. On these podcasts, I try and avoid talking about it because, you know, it just, it's saturated. Um, but... I understand that BitGo has taken custody of about $740 million worth of crypto assets. So can you tell me a little bit about what happened? Um, how did you manage to get those assets? How are they being stored? Sure. Um, I mean, I think obviously I can talk to what's... Um, what you're allowed to talk about. Well, what I'm allowed, what's also in the, in the public domain. Yeah, but let's do that. Uh, you know, as you said, we've um, FTX been talked about at those AM, right? But we, mm -hmm. um, you know, very early on in the process, as soon as the sort of bankruptcy lawyers were appointed, John Ray III or whatever his name is, is uh, contacted BitGo immediately mm -hmm. and said, we need, you know, we need you to secure the remaining assets that we, that we have in, in our control. So you were the first port call? Yeah, pretty much. And okay. you know, they, 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 you know, we onboarded them and, and moved those assets safely so that they can 
or part of the bankruptcy estate. And at least, you know, the sort of uh, creditors know that they're sitting um, safely and soundly, right? Well, they they wait for the, I'm sure, the multi-year <laughs> process to unravel. It's coming, I'm um, sure, yeah. So so that's 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 how it happened. And that's, you know, that's testament, I guess, to our reputation and and, uh, and the tech stack and the, you know, and the, the trust and the, yeah. regulate, and the regulation and insurance that we that we have, right? So well, I was going to say that's testament to the brand and uh, the longevity of the, the, the um, company. Yeah. Are they being stored in any uh, particular way that's different? I know where we sort of talked about armed guards and cold storage and multi-sig. It's just going to be, you know, cold storage. Um, obviously, we're very segregated to the FTX bankruptcy sort of, yeah. um, um, you know, wallets specific to different digital assets. So they won't be stored in any different way to um, how our cold wallet assets are usually stored, but that, that is the most secure Mm. Um, sort of thought out because you're, way. I guess you're used to storing them in that way, so it's not special treatment, it's no, just no, everything yeah, special that, treatment. That's no, respect. exactly right. Okay, I understand. Um, I know Bitgo was also involved in the Mount Gox Bitcoin hack back in 2014. Um, can you tell me about how well, I suppose, your role in that, how it came to be? Sure. A little bit about the background. We're not involved in the hack. To no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. <So>. No, yeah. <laughs> Poor choice of words. You weren't involved in the hack, but after the hack, you became involved. E exactly. Well, after, again, I mean, if you, FTX is, is just an earlier, ver sorry, mm -hmm. Mount Gox is an mm -hmm. earlier version of, of FTX, I guess. So we, you know, it's mm -hmm. taken nearly 10 years to, to essentially come to an end. Mm -hmm. uh, and the trustee for the estate has uh, chosen a bunch of, um, um, you know, trusted, Distribution agents, mm -hmm. uh, of which we are one of them, and we're the mm -hmm. only custodian globally, uh, to be to be uh, essentially selected to distribute the remainders of the estate to the end creditors, or the, you know to receive mm -hmm. their claims. So the process is they can um, they, we have a dedicated website for Mount Gox trustees. Mm -hmm. uh, they have a you know a sort of reference number from their trustee. They can come. They can essentially onboard with us and we have a, a sort of accelerated seamless process for them to do that. And mm. then they will be able to receive um, the, the, their Bitcoin from the Mount Gox estate into either a hot or cold wallet of their choice. And then they can actually decide to keep it there. They can move their digital assets there or they can move it out to another wallet and move on. But, you know, we're offering them having suffered this hack, yeah. you know, 10 years ago, a very, very safe and secure way to not only receive those digital assets, but then to secure them for the long term. So it's a considered approach, mm -hmm. essentially, Absolutely. that's quite tailor-made. It is. It's tailor-made for them, but it shows that, you know, again, to your question earlier about facing retail, these mm -hmm. are obviously smaller claimants across multiple jurisdictions, mm -hmm. you know, hundreds, if not thousands of claimants. And we have a solution to, uh, you know, onboard them into our ecosystem and provide them a way to secure those assets and obviously to distribute those assets yeah. to them in the first place. So, you know, we can, it, we, we just, it's absolutely a solution that we can replicate for other scenarios where, you know, if they were to materialize. Well, I think there's probably going to be quite a lot of uh, class actions, representative actions, whatever it may be, where there's there's more than one claimant. Mm -hmm. And in that, on that basis, it sounds like you might be quite busy in the future, or at least have more instructions because there will be funds recovered certainly um, in a civil route, almost definitely in a, a criminal route, whereby those assets need to be stored until yeah. people can come forward and prove that they own no, I mean, we're always going to throw our hat in the ring, I'm sure, as a company for, mm -hmm. to be part of those sort of processes of distribution mm -hmm. uh, because it makes sense. You know, we can do it at scale and effortlessly and in a mm -hmm. the most secure way. So, um, you know, Mount, beyond Mount Gox, beyond FTX, mm -hmm. um, 
and, but just more fundamentally, hopefully it, it, it awakens some sort of realization in, in the people who've been um, impacted by, by, by these events that they need to have a, a safer solution. And now that they can do it with us, with, you know, a pretty low threshold of entry, mm -hmm. then hopefully more of them will will migrate over to to use our wallet infrastructure. And I guess that's that's part of it because they've gone through a hack and there's a level of mistrust all mm -hmm. of a sudden now that, you know, if you guys have been around for 10 years and you trusted, then those victims will have an element um, of understanding that there is some trust in the process and that these things can be done properly. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think you, shortly after FTX, you had a, an increase 300% plus in sales of ledgers and Trezor wallets and self-custody mm -hmm. wallets, which makes sense from a retail perspective. but you know, they are not the only solution and they're maybe not the best. They don't scale effectively. They're not as secure at a sort of more institutional level. Mm -hmm. um, and some of these claimants who were comfortable using exchanges or less secure sort of forms of custody, mm -hmm. you know, will probably migrate to uh, to our wallet infrastructure. Yeah. yeah. I think the answer to this question I'm about to answer is, I suppose, trusts, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because there may be some more things to add. So how do you protect users' funds from third parties? And in essence, from BitGo itself, because if there's a, if there's a reason why BitGo goes under, yeah. then people's funds need to be ring-fenced. But it seems as though the answer may well be trust structures. Is there anything to add on that point, or is that the right answer? It, it is. It's all about trust, yeah. So there's no uh, commingling of funds. Um, you know, segregation of assets, essentially. Um, the trust provides you with bankruptcy remoteness uh, mm -hmm. and, 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 you're, and, and it enables you to be insured. So, you know, those three things come together to, to ensure mm. that if anything were to happen to BitGo or ultimately the, um, the you know, the, the, the counterparty holding the assets on behalf of the clients for whom we're custodying the assets, mm -hmm then those assets would be safe. Because one of the things you saw with FTX, obviously, um, after they went down was some funds were siphoned off. Oh, yes. Right? And that would never have happened in our custodial environment because you can't move assets out of um, our cold storage environment, so mm -hmm. the trust environment, uh, without many things happening, many parties being involved. So mm -hmm. there's enough checks and balances for that, Not even if a malicious actor or malicious actors mm -hmm. are trying to, um, um, you know, to withdraw funds, it would either be spotted or blocked very early on. You know, you said that our policies are very robust and deliberately robust to enable to stop these sort of sort of transactions from coming. You have velocity limits, video checks, video facial checks above certain um, thresholds, mm -hmm. um, whitelisting of addresses you can send things to. Um, it, you know, obviously multiple people need to approve the transaction. Mm -hmm. So just one rogue or a few rogue sort of employees of FTX who were able to move three, four hundred million dollars of, of, of assets would not have been able to do that. Now that, that, that makes sense. And I guess your phrase quite rightly was checks and balances. Mm -hmm. My next question is sort of it, it's difficult, right? But let's just say, for example, that one of the, or a few of the major exchanges, right? Mm -hmm. They start doing what you do. So say, for instance, they become regulated and they provide insured products. Mm -hmm. let's, just, let's just call it that. How does BitGo set itself apart, bearing in mind that some exchanges may have better goodwill or, or, or at least a, a stronger relationship given that they're retail. So how does how would BitGo keep up if they started doing that? Um, I mean, I think they're doing it already and we are keeping up because many exchanges recognize that, you know, there has to be 
uh, a, a separation of duty in in terms of market structure, who's doing what. So but we're some, seeing that with everybody, aren't we? We're seeing that with everybody. And, and obviously, yeah. if they were doing it willingly before, now they're going to be doing it more through enforceability because regulation, yep. I think, it's is coming, coming mm -hmm. that's going to enforce this form of market structure. So I think our business model is going to be validated. Um, you know, two weeks ago, Gary Gensler said that uh, you know, re RIAs or REAs in the US, you know, registered investment advisors, mm -hmm. to the extent that they're holding uh, crypto assets on behalf of their end users, have to custody those assets with a qualified custodian. So we're one of the only qualified custodians in the US, have been since 2018. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so unless those exchanges manage to get qualified custodial status, They've got to catch up. They've got to catch up. Yeah, and even yeah. then, it's all about, I guess, the other way to, to describe it, it's all about um, surface of attack, you know, and ultimately, as an exchange, custodying mm -hmm. assets on behalf of your uh, of your retail clients, there's a far greater service of, at of attack because mm -hmm. then you're trading with other exchanges, you're rehypothecating those assets, you're lending, borrowing, you're doing derivative trading, there's margin involved, um, and hence that that sort of risk assessment doesn't become just relevant to your entity, but you, it has elements of the other entities that you're dealing with, and then it becomes sort of exponentially harder to measure yeah. the, the risk. And this, you know, again, that sort of attack, surface attack for, um, um, you know, for that specific entity. We just do custody, and our core um, function is to, to safeguard customer assets. Mm. We, do, we enable them to do more things, but always from a safe custodial environment. So their funds are never at risk. If they then obviously move their funds to an exchange or go and LP into some, you know, very sort of left field DeFi <laughs> protocol with their funds, that's mm -hmm. their own right. But they, you know, as long as they remain in our custodial environment, they will not be at risk. And that's why you have some, um, some of our competitors are custodians and exchanges, and then also offered, you know, um, yield products. Which were not. Oh, there's a lot of that at the moment. Right. There's a lot and of those yield products. products were quite arcane and intransparent, and mm -hmm. obviously have, you know, led to quite a, you know, in some instances, um, quite a lot of those assets being, being tied up, you know, because some of the counterparties that we're dealing with have gone under or in in bankruptcy proceedings, and then their end retail customers cannot mm -hmm. get those funds back. So we, that's not our business. We are not going to. You're focusing on that. one thing. Absolutely. So if you're. I suppose you're not waiting for uh, third-party providers, exchanges, whatever whatever we want to call them. Mm -hmm. You're not waiting for them to catch up. But say they do, right, mm -hmm. and they provide similar services to you with, with the products that you yeah. provide. How in the next five, ten years do you foresee uh, BitGo's business changing? What does custody look like in five, ten yeah. years? Yeah, I mean... What, you know. <laughs> I bet, bear in mind that's probably a really difficult question to ask because ten years is a long way. I, I let's would, do let's do two. Let's right, do two, two years. We can do two. We can do medium and long term. But I, I think yeah. it's more it's the, it's the old pie analogy, right? Yeah. So you know, our, 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 our slice might shrink, but the pie itself will grow mm. probably by multiples of what it is now. Yeah. Because more real world assets will come onto the blockchain, more people will be comfortable using the blockchain. I mean, especially if you fast forward five or 10 years time, there'll be tokenization, Web3 will be a thing. Obviously, we're still mostly web browser based, all of us, you know, yeah, hardly yeah, any yeah. of us probably use MetaMask even on, on our mobile, just to yeah. check some NFTs, but yeah. it's not, we, we haven't had that mobile moment yet, and that's coming, and that's going to be a huge vector of, of adoption. And obviously, we're going to be involved in that. We, we have our own, we're developing our own 
uh, wallet actually called Harbor Wallet. Which okay. Come out this year, so that'll be a kind of Web three secure. That's a plugin like MetaMask, is it? Like it, it will enable you to access MetaMask and a variety okay. of other okay. DeFi's, but it will also use our actually MPC wallet technology, okay. which is a, a you know well, well TSS in our particular case, but it's an alternative to multisig, which is more suited for uh, the sort of Web three world. Um, but hence, you know, I'm not worried about Bitgo's ability to to stay relevant in the space and to mm -hmm. scale because the pie will be so much larger and you know there will always be a, a space for a custodian and we have the, the, that track record as well so you have people trying to and and rightly so you know it's good to have competitors and you see real, keep you on your toes keep you keep us on our toes you see real world custodians yeah. come in you know the state streets and the, the sort of northern trust of this world but you can't just replicate a 10 year old tech stack overnight you mm -hmm. know, even with the best intentions and the best resources it takes time to mm -hmm. to gain that trust and to scale that technology uh, and to get the licenses and the processes and procedures in place yeah uh, for them to catch up so is it a matter then that maybe the next few years is going to be the tokenization of real world assets and that's what's going to need custodial services because from people i speak to it seems like a lot of a lot of the market is talking about tokenizing real world assets and what that looks like you know for instance property or you know yeah. shares bonds. shares bonds equity in a racehorse whatever it may be yeah. right maybe that's the next step as people get more comfortable with blockchain tech i i mean the tech is already there and available for yeah. that, to be honest i think it's just jurisdictional and um regulatory driven more than anything else because it's really ultimately how do you prove you have a claim on the underlying assets that you're meant to be mm. you know sort of tokenizing and across you know it gets more and more complicated when it's less and less liquid i guess so you need to solve for that rather than the actual blockchain and you need to get people comfortable transacting mm -hmm. you know, on, on in a de dematerialized tokenized fashion rather than it's comfortability it's comfortability yeah 100 percent. and i i just want to check to make sure bitgo also looks after nfts yeah, absolutely so you can trade and custody so there's two angles i guess with the nft so from the wallet architecture i described mm -hmm. you know as i said we want you to deploy your funds so mm -hmm. staking yep. uh trading borrow lend mm -hmm. access to DeFi. Uh, and then also NFTs. So if you're an NFT fund, of which there are several now, you mm -hmm. know, large, and they actively buy and sell NFTs and mm -hmm. store them, you can store NFTs in our cold wallets. You can sell and trade NFTs from a you know a hot and cold wallets. Mm -hmm. So that's one angle. So absolutely, because they're an ERC sort of tied token, and we support NFTs on other blockchains too, like Polygon, which is obviously doing mm -hmm. many many mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. in retail. World. So that's that's one angle. And then the other sort of uh, more uh, bespoke all but slash turnkey depending mm -hmm. on how you're looking at it solution is um we we offer big brands the ability to deploy or develop and deploy at scale but always safely um an nft marketplace for instance or a web3 uh, a marketplace with um with their end users so we worked with one of the biggest brands in the world recently uh, you know, in the um, in, in the, the, the sports industry mm -hmm. uh, to deploy their. Um, Can you say who it is or not at this stage? Uh, I mean, people Google it. <laughs> people Google it. Yeah, fine. Yeah, uh, they'll they'll find it. It's just some sensitivities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mentioning fair. the name, but um, um, you know, we helped them launch their their Web three uh, sort of marketplace, which is you know, in my mind, um, going to be one of the major Trojan horses of the broader adoption for this sort of mm -hmm. um, because they're so big and it's mm -hmm. it's already got such you know such attention. Yeah. And, and we're working with many similar brands to do that. So absolutely, 
uh, we support NFTs. You know, it's something that we're focusing, a, 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 you know, a lot of resources and interest on. And yeah. it's as the as the blockchain world becomes more mobile, it's yeah. going to become even more relevant. As I told you before we started this podcast, I was at yeah. uh, I was recently um, at NFT Paris, and yep. there was um, you know ten thousand people there. I mean, fantastic interest from various global brands about. Mm-hmm you know, what this can unlock in terms of customer engagement and the future of their business models. Well, especially fashion brands, that's 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 huge at the moment. People fashion, kind of... e-commerce, but, you know, automobile companies. I think it's really how you want to develop that community, really, and then work yeah. with that community to drive your brand forward mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, how, and, and these are increasingly digital native end users, mm-hmm. so you really have to kind of go and speak to them and they're they're expected because of their interaction with crypto to mm-hmm. have a say in how things are are architected and developed. Does BitGo then act as a consultancy for Web3 as well as all this custodial stuff we're talking about? It seems as though there's there's an element of consultancy to get into that space. How do big brands do that? Is that true or is that not quite yeah, right? I wouldn't frame it as a consultancy, but because it's- What's the best it's, way to frame it's, it? It's, well, as a- um, we're certainly someone with a, a strong opinion as to how things should be done, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 we have a you know we have a we have a tried and tested method, and we have the skills to be very adaptive. So we can we can model any type of strategy according to does it need to be custodial, non-custodial, mm-hmm. what type of jurisdiction it's going to be in, mm-hmm. is it going to be closed loop, as in only crypto will be yeah. traded initially, or will it be open loop, as in can you bring in fiat money? Can you bring it to other types of platforms? So we can really architect it um, in, in, in any way these brands want to do. So I think indirectly we're a consultant because we we understand the space very well. Yeah. And we understand what needs to be done properly initially for it to be scalable, you know, for millions and millions of users. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of brand consultants and consumer consultants and strategic consultants. And well, I'm wondering whether you can sort of wipe them out the way because you guys no, I think know what we, you're doing. It, you know, we all work, we all, we're all working towards the same end goal. So we yeah. all work together, yeah. Well, I think on that note, I'd like to thank you for coming down and doing this. Really appreciate your time. That was fantastic, Matt. Really good to be here. Thanks very much. Thank you. This podcast does not contain any financial or legal advice and you should not seek to rely on it as such. Opinions are the individual's own. This podcast was produced and edited by Joe Hawkins and music by Luke Carey. Thank you for listening and see you next time.